What are you passionate about? What are your convictions? We all have them, but can you explain and defend why you hold your convictions? The earliest Christians held to the firm conviction that Jesus Christ rose again for the dead, and they were willing to die for that conviction. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. Dr. Pat Zucharin is a Christian scholar, author, speaker, and prominent apologist who speaks all over the world giving reasons for faith in Christ. Recently, Dr. Zuckerman hosted a conference in Hawaii which featured one of the foremost experts on the resurrection of Christ, Dr. Gary Habermas. Today, you'll hear the first in a two-part series on the confident conviction one can have in the truth of the resurrection. And when you get a chance, check out our website, evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, past shows, interviews, articles, books, and more. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, Pat Zuckerman presents Dr. Gary Habermas with part one of Confident Conviction. Let me first go over some things with you about Jesus because it's very, very common for, you, for us to hear things like this today. You'll hear, aren't all religions different paths up the same mountain? Or you'll hear, come on, it's not right to say that anybody can be right and anybody can be wrong. And how about this one? This is real common. Religion is not about reasons. Religion is about faith. So therefore, everybody's on the same grounds. Well, all religions teach faith of some sort. But what if there is data? What if there are data? What if there are reasons to believe? I think that would set religious views apart if you could judge according to good reasons. And this isn't a politics conference. And apologetics means to give reasons, so that's what I intend to do tonight. Let me begin by saying Jesus is not a normal, run-of-the-mill founder of a major world religion. What I have in your notes are six things you can say about Jesus that cannot be said of any other founder of any other major world religion. Now, I'm not talking about whether the other religions right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying... None of them even taught these things. This isn't on their agenda. So when you say they're different paths up the same mountain, I'd like to know how they're different paths if Jesus is the only one who's teaching or doing these six things. First of all, would you be surprised if I said Jesus is the only founder of a major world religion who taught he was deity? You might say, no, I don't think so. Because there's... And then you might think of some relatively unknown person, and I said, well, I said founder of a major world religion. Oh, okay. A founder of a major world religion who claimed to be deity didn't... Confucius? No. Confucius was an ethical teacher. A good ethical teacher. Read his writings. There's nothing really even about theology. Lao Tzu, which is Taoism. Same thing, very similar. By the way, he and Confucius knew each other, lived at the same time, and didn't get along. <laughs> but, but besides, they were ethicists. They didn't teach theology. Well, you can name others going down the list. What about Buddha? Did Buddha teach he was God? Well, I'll cite a, a Buddhist himself, Edward Losey, who's one of the best-known Buddhists of the last generation. He published a book called The Buddhist Scriptures with, with uh, text. Now, this is a Buddhist scholar speaking, not me. And he said, Christians have evidence 
for Jesus. They have evidence for what Jesus said. They have evidence for his earliest disciples' teachings. And then they have teachings of those who come after the disciples. So it's Jesus, disciples, and then more disciples and more disciples and more disciples. But he said, we don't have that in Buddhism. This is a major Buddhist scholar. He said, we don't have, we don't have Buddha's original teachings. And we don't have his closest followers' teachings. Because our writings are three, five, six hundred years later. Now you can argue whether those are true writings or false writings, but all the guy's saying is we don't have them that go back to the beginning. He said we can't, we can't go head to head with the Christians on this one. So we just don't have those kind of texts. This is the beginning of a book called Buddhist Scriptures. Again, I'm not saying yay or nay. I'm saying read, read the Buddhist scholars themselves. So no, you don't have any founders of major world religions who claim to be God. Think of the Jewish religion. You know that Moses never claimed that. Daniel never claimed that. David never said he was the son of God. It just doesn't happen. Okay. Let's, let's move on. Jesus is the only founder of a major religion who says, what you do with me determines where you spend eternity. Now, a lot of people said, what you do with my teachings might determine where you spend eternity, depending on the teacher. But Jesus said, what you do with me. Now, it is about his teachings, but it's also what you do with him. What have you done with him as a person? Thirdly, you say, well, okay, Jesus is a miracle worker. Surely the other religious founders did miracles. But Jesus is the only founder of a major world religion who has miracles reported of him within a generation. You can find miracles reported of a lot of founders of religions, but they're reported hundreds of years later. Now, if you want to do what you do in history, you're going to have to get early texts. And we don't have miracles reported of major founders of a world religion until more, usually way more than a generation. In fact, Edwin Yamauchi, professor, well, he retired recently from Miami of Ohio University, uh, an ancient history professor, he's the one that makes that point. We don't have any texts within a generation of founders of major world religions who do miracles. Okay, there's three things for you. Claim to be God, said what you do with me determines where you spend eternity, miracles reported within a generation, then three things about his death and resurrection, two sets of threes. Jesus is the only founder of a major world religion who says my death is instrumental in your salvation. In fact, my death is at the center. We call it the gospel of Christianity, the good news, the evangelion, the center of Christianity. Jesus said, that center has to do with my death. Now normally we don't say death is a center point of anything. We think it's a sad point and, and we don't celebrate it. But Jesus said, for example, Jesus said, I come to give my life a ransom for many. Next, he said, he's arguably the only founder of a major religion. I make the point there in your notes. I'll say this one's a little bit, this could be argued. But Jesus is the only founder of a major religion who said that suffering, we talked about this last night, for those of you who are here, suffering is at the center of the gospel, and it's real. It's at the center of the gospel, and it's real. Christianity does not try to deny or explain away suffering. It's there, and it's real. 
And sixthly, Jesus is the only founder of a major world religion whose followers, whose Orthodox followers, say he was raised from the dead. Now you put those together, claim to be deity, eternal life, what you do with me determines where you spend eternity, or you could say it this way, you could say Jesus' primary teaching is the kingdom of God and how to get there. Salvation is sort of the shorthand for that. Miracles reported within a generation. It says that his death is central to salvation. Suffering is real and not to be explained away. And his resurrection from the dead. Now you put those together, and to me, you may want to pursue this tomorrow or something during our planned Q&A time, or I'll be you know, around during the sessions and so on. But um, it's kind of hard to me, for me to think that Jesus could have taught these six things, that you don't find these teachings in any other major founders of world religions, and say the different religions are paths up the same mountain. True, false, or indifferent seems to me they're teaching different things. Now someone could say, all right, fine. Jesus made some very unique claims. And like Edward Losey, the, uh, the uh, Buddhist scholar, said, we can't play the game. We can't compare scriptures to scriptures as far as early historical content. But somebody could say this. We're on the level of teachings. Teachings. You yourself said, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be deity. How do you know Jesus' deity? How do you know when he says, what you do with me determines where you spend eternity? How do you know that's just not a bold, unverifiable claim? How about the miracles? How about the, my death is central for your salvation? Classic Christianity, including the New Testament, argues like this. The resurrection of Jesus was God's stamp of approval to indicate who Jesus was. In fact, if you want to just take a look at the books that, the, again, the Buddhist scholar said are the first ones after Jesus that we don't have an, an equivalent of, we have Acts 2, for example, first Christian sermon after Jesus is gone, and Peter says, Jesus is a man approved among you by the miracles he did. Notice that? His miracles showed that he was approved. Next verse, he died and was raised from the dead. Paul says in Acts 17, I've come to you to teach several things, and that is that there's a man, he says, I come to talk to you about the God that you, that you call the unknown God. He sent a man, Jesus, you better repent because he's going to judge the world. And then Acts 17, 31, he gave proof of all these things by raising his son from the dead. Over and over in the New Testament, the resurrection is a sign that Jesus is who he said he is. Okay, I'm going to do something different tonight with resurrection. I'm going to spend some time talking about the resurrection because it is the seal on these six and other key teachings of Jesus. If he's been raised from the dead, almost in my debates, I've had a few dozen debates with skeptics, and critics will generally allow, if Jesus is raised from the dead, this is something very, very special about him. But they'll say, but that's what we're here to dispute tonight. We're going to dispute the resurrection. One of the books out on the table is one of my debates with Anthony Flew. 
the world-famous atheist. Well, he's not an atheist now. He believes in, in God, but he's not a Christian. You can check that out. Again, the argument is, how do we know he's raised to that? What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to start marking off a timeline up here, and the rest of the lecture is going to be a timeline. But I want to use a different argument with you than you usually hear. And usually arguments go like this. Christians usually argue like this. The Bible's the word of God because it claims to be, or something like that. Or here's another kind of argument. The Bible's the word of God because it's reliable, and if it's reliable, it's true. All right, I'm going to use a different argument again tonight, and my argument's going to go like this. If this book is inspired, Jesus has been raised from the dead, but I'm not going to assume that tonight, that, he's, that it's inspired. All right, well, if it's a reliable book, Jesus has been raised from the dead, okay, but I'm not going to assume it's reliable. What's the worst the Bible could be as a text? Now, this is how I debate with, with skeptics. Because I've got to treat the Bible as a common source, not because that's my view, but he's just going to say, I don't accept your source. In fact, they will frequently say, you want me to believe the man? Yes. The man's in the book? Yes. And what's their response? I don't believe the source, so I don't believe the man. Well, I'm going to argue tonight that if this is the word of God, Jesus is raised. If it's reliable, Jesus is still raised. But if all this is, is a book of ancient literature, Jesus has been raised from the dead. In other words, no matter how reliable or unreliable you think this book is, Jesus has been raised from the dead. You think you can pull that off? Well, I'm going to try, and we'll see what happens. And you're free to push you know, with some questions tomorrow. But here's how I'm going to do it. From this point on, I'm going to cite data that skeptics concede. They concede it because there's good reasons in its favor. Okay? Skeptics wouldn't concede something if there weren't good reasons. Now, by skeptic, I don't mean the person who just says no, 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 no to everything because they want to be belligerent. I'm going to be citing skeptics who are specialists in this material. They're skeptics, but they're specialists. And I'm going to use their data, and I'm going to argue that their data are enough to show that Jesus is raised from the dead. So you all with me? If you take minimal data from the skeptics, Jesus has been raised. If you take more data that would show the Bible is reliable, well, he's really been raised. And if you have maximal data, and Jesus and the Bible is inspired, well, then of course Jesus has been raised from the dead. But I'm going to say that even on the skeptics' Bible, the scissors and paste job on the Bible, cutting out passages they don't like, I don't approve of that, but I'm saying even on their Bible, they can't deny the resurrection. Okay? So here's how we start. I'm going to go down here, and I'm going to call this ground zero. This is the cross. I say ground zero because most scholars put it at about 30 AD. Most scholars put it at about 30 AD. A few will say it's 33 AD. It really doesn't make a difference because we're going to be going to and from the cross. So it's ground zero. We're going to go plus or minus from this point. Now, if you ask the average Christian, how do you know the Bible is reliable? They're going to say something like this. And I think they can make a good point. This is not my argument tonight. I'll give you the other argument for just a few minutes here. And then the rest of the time will be on this skeptic's argument. Most Christians argue like who know their material. They argue like this. Well, if you want me to argue for the resurrection, 
I'm going to start with the Gospel of Mark. Now, I'm going to use the critic's dating. The critic's dating is not that much different. And, I, and I'm going to say, the believer will say something like this. Gospel of Mark, 70 AD. Maybe a few, it may be a few years earlier. I think probably it's the early 60s. But let's just say 70 AD. All right, what date's that? 30. 70 minus 30 is how many years? 40. This is plus 40. This book is a source, is plus 40. 40 years, not 40 AD, but 40 years from the cross, which is 30. And they're going to say, hey, this is well within the window of ancient historiography. But I have Matthew, again, critics dating. I have Matthew from about plus 50, Luke from about 55, and everybody puts John at about 95 AD, or subtract 30, plus 65. And the, and the Christian who knows what they're talking about is going to say, these books are well within the parameters of historiography. This is early in the ancient world, as I'll show you in a minute. This is early. Okay, so Mark, I'm just reviewing, Mark, plus 40. Matthew, plus 50. Luke, plus 55. These are the critics' dates, and they're fine. I mean, fine is unusable. And John from plus 65. And they're going to say, these are good texts from early day. Let's, let's talk by comparison. One of the best-known personages in the ancient world, Alexander the Great. This guy's an incredible figure in ancient history. As a young man, less than 30 years old, conquers the known world. Probably the greatest military commander who lived at that time. And you could argue that for many, many hundreds of years after his time, perhaps only Julius Caesar is in the same category as a military leader. How do we know Alexander the Great's a great military leader? Because the two best biographies of Alexander the Great, Arian and Plutarch, are plus 400. So if this is Aristotle, well, by the way, Alexander studied at Aristotle. Aristotle was his school teacher. Where'd you go to school? Down the street here, high school. Where'd you go to school? I was homeschooled. Alexander, where'd you go? I was homeschooled by Aristotle. How's that? How do you know that? Because our first source are our two major sources. And you know what? If I'm going to do this in, in sync here, I'm going to go walking way beyond that wall. And so are you going to take those two sources by Alexander, and you're going to say, John can't know what he's talking about at plus 65, and Luke can't know at 55, and Matthew can't know at 50, and Mark can't know at 40? Go oh, well, they're writing Christian propaganda. Or are they? How do you know they're writing Christian propaganda? Because they said Jesus was the Son of God. Oh, so that qualifies as propaganda, right? One well-known Roman history in the ancient world, it's Suetonius' 12 Caesars. There are 12 Caesars, and you turn to the table of contents, and here's what it says. 12 Caesars, and after five of them, it says, later deified, later deified, later deified, later deified, later deified. Five out of 12, that's emperor worship. Do you think that's a good book? Yeah, Suetonius is one of the best historians. Well, then, what's wrong with the Gospels? Now, that's one way to argue that we have four books that are very early. In fact, I'll do this real fast. But let's take a contemporary of Jesus, Tiberius Caesar. He's on the throne when Jesus dies. He lives, depending on when you think the crucifixion is, he lives till just a few years after the crucifixion. So he's going to die about here. We have about nine sources for Tiberius. We have way more for Jesus. You say, yeah, but they're in the New Testament. Well, first of all, that's not, that's not bad, as I'll show you in a minute. But get this. If you only looked at secular 
non-Christian sources for Jesus. Secular, non-Christian. You can put together a life of Jesus and never open up the New Testament and never open up a single Christian text. You can find out about 50 to 60 things about Jesus, his life, and the earliest teachings of the church immediately after Jesus' life. 50 to 60 things from all secular sources. By the way, if I, I may forget to say this. I usually do, so I'll say it right here. If you're interested in those 18 sources, there is a book out there on the table that has them, but they're also on my website, GaryHabermas.com, and you can get the list of 12 without charge. Okay? not trying to sell these books out here just so I can you know, make money. You want to take a list off my website, that's fine. You can download the 18 sources. You could download the whole list of 50 to 60 things that you could say about Jesus off from non-Christian sources. Okay, back to Tiberius. Nine sources for Tiberius. We've got more. We've got double that in non-Christian sources for Jesus alone. You say, yeah, but our first source for Tiberius is contemporary with him. You don't have a source for contemporary, do you? Well, Mark's the first gospel at about plus 40. Yeah, see? I already got an advantage on you. But guess what? This early source for Tacitus is the least usable source because it tells us less about him than any other source. You know what the best source for Tacitus is? Sorry, I'm saying Tacitus. Tiberius. The best source for Tiberius is Tacitus. And watch this. This is the best source for Tiberius. I have to go down those stairs and probably right to those doors. Because it's 120 AD. It's later than all four Gospels. The next best source, also 120 AD. And the fourth source for Tiberius, 180 years after Ground Zero. That's secular historiography. How do we know about Tiberius? From sources that are fairly decent, but way later than the Gospels. What about Alexander? Mark is 10 times earlier than our best sources for Alexander the Great. And guess what? I've not touched the best argument. Now, from this point on, I'm giving you my argument. Not because it's mine. I'm going to play this game of, I'm going to use the skeptics' sources. Now, why do I call it a game? Because it's a method. There's a lot more that's true about Jesus than what the skeptics say. But I know that if I can show it's true on the skeptics' logic, on the skeptics' data, that it's true in everybody else's too. So I'm going to use the lowest common denominator to show you that Jesus is raised from the dead. All right, you all ready? I'm going to only use two texts from the New Testament, and critics accept both of them without a whimper. If I were debating tonight, and I would pull these two texts out, the, critic, the guy I'm debating would not say, I don't accept those texts, because they're unanimously accepted. What are they? Now let me tell you this. The critic's darling is Paul. Paul is the critic's darling. Why? All right, first of all, they're skeptics. There's 13 books that bear Paul's name. They're only going to grant you six or eight of them. Okay, that's pretty skeptical. They're only going to take 50% of the books, a little more than 50%. The other books they're going to say are bogus. All right, critic doesn't want to grant the other six books, I won't use them. What books are they going to give you? Critics will always give you Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians. They'll always give you those six, and usually one or two others. So, you know, it's one of these good news, bad news things. What's the, good, what's the bad news? They're only going to give you six to eight out of 13 books. What's the good news? 
they're going to give you six to eight out of 13 books. Okay? Well, if I can make my point with six to eight books, I won the game. It's sort of like saying this. You think you have the best high school football team in town. I'll bet you use 11 guys on each side of the ball. I'll beat you with five guys on each side of the ball. And if I'm right, who's got the best football team? Especially, you know, all the guys got to be the same age, and they've got to play with the same rules, and so on. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking the lowest common denominator. I'm not going to get upset with them for rejecting half of Paul's books. I only want two texts, which are unanimously granted as authentic. Now, let me be real careful here. I'm not saying that they think these six books by Paul are inspired. They don't say that. I'm not saying that they say whatever Paul says is true. They don't say that. Well, then what's so good about it? Because they think these books are authentic in this sense. Paul's the author. He was a scholar. He was an honest guy. And he never willingly fabricated the data. They will concede that about all these books. Well, we have just run out of time today, but we'll pick it up there next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin as Dr. Gary Habermas shows the firm historical foundations that Jesus Christ actually rose again from the dead. And it seems we have a divine miracle on our hands. And you can get this entire series on confident conviction and more of Dr. Gary Habermas's teaching at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. And by the way, you have the opportunity to support us financially and prayerfully at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll help keep this program on the air and online when you purchase our resources or offer your tax-deductible gift. And we really appreciate your support. We think that people all over the world should have the opportunity to hear a clear, intelligent presentation on the truth of the claims of Christ. Click the Donate button when you go to evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. I'm Kevin Harris. We'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerberg.